Hey, serious privacy enthusiasts, ready to ace your AI data privacy game? Oh, you bet, Kate. Dive into the world of TrustSark's Nemity Research, your go-to for staying on top of regulatory developments in AI and privacy. Seriously, Nimity Research maintains a massive privacy and regulatory database featuring expert guidance and analysis from legal and privacy pros. So save time on privacy research, cut your compliance timeline, and reduce costs with Nimity Research. Get your regulatory research and insight at your fingertips with a free trial. So get ahead in privacy compliance and start that free trial today. Go to trustark.com slash nimity dash free dash trial. This is Serious Privacy by Trustar. Here are your hosts, Paul Breitbart and Kay Royal. Hi, everyone. Also this week, a lot of things happened in our beloved data protection and privacy community. So we'll have another week in privacy episode for you in store. We'll talk about a new major GDPR fine for a very familiar U.S. company about the forthcoming legislative changes in the United States as of January 1st, including for business-to-business and HR data, the evaluation of the Dutch GDPR Implementation Act and lessons learned from that, and also about automatic transmissions of personal data to the church. All of this and more in this week's episode. My name is Paul Breitbart. And I'm Kay Royal, and welcome to Serious Privacy. So, you know, Paul, it seems like kind of a slow week in privacy news. I don't know if I'm tweaking the dog's tail or what, but let's go do the unexpected question first and then talk about it. Oh, I like this Hit one. Me. How many stamps are in your passport? Oh, I don't know. A couple of dozen. A couple dozen. Okay. I think so. Passport is running out in two years. So, okay. Yeah, quite a few from the US and from Canada, obviously, from the days when I was still with Nimity and Trustark. China is there, Morocco is there, from the International Conference. From this summer, we've got Romania and Hungary, Singapore and Malaysia are there, Hong Kong. You are a well-traveled man. Yeah, it was not too bad. And I mean, the next stamp that is coming is, is Jordan, and Ooh. I'm really looking forward to that one. Nice. Not just the stamp, also the whole visit to Jordan. Oh, of course, Kenya yeah. and Nagal are there as well. Yeah. Yep, yep. Oh, that's amazing. I have a friend that actually has to have extra pages added to his because he fills them up because he and his wife just, now they, he did it alone by himself, but now he and his wife just travel like vagabonds everywhere. I think that's the, the, the main disadvantage of the European Union, of the, of, of the Schengen area. So we don't have border control anymore. And even if you do meet, a border guard, often they refuse to give you a stamp. Wow. Because there is no need. There is no need. So all the countries in Europe, yeah, all the countries in Europe, you just don't get a stamp. Overseas, I've only been to London and Paris. Oh, no, I've been to Spain. Maybe something Canada or Mexico, no? Don't know if I ever got one for going into Canada. Because some of these places, you actually have to go ask for the stamp. And you don't? I don't think I think about it at the time. Uh, I'm always very eager if I see a border guard. Please give me the stamp. Now, now you've challenged me, and I, I, I feel like I need to broaden my horizons drastically. That's, That's true. true. Well, I, mean, I have to do something. Tiny bit of news maybe already for our listeners, but it seems that finally, hopefully, at the end of this year, we may record an episode in person together. That's the 
exciting. For the first time in three years of serious privacy. Oh my gosh, that's exciting. So we'll have to plan those dates. Paul Paul has in mind what he's coming over here for, and he's let me know the date, so I've got to see if I can make some arrangements to get there, which I have a feeling I'll make an arrangement to get there. Um, and we'll we'll make it happen. I'm excited about that. That's so am be I. Awesome. Then we can record our season finale in person. That would be <gasps> exciting. That would be. Someone asked me the other day, said they were a new user to our podcast and said I wanted my recommendations of my favorite shows. And I started laughing going, my favorite shows may not be the ones that are best for the listeners, for the, <laughs> the substance of the top. Uh, my favorites are perhaps picked on other things like the favorite quote one of the guests said or the guest itself, not maybe what the guest said, but just having the person on or something. So I did tell them that at the end of the year, we always do an episode where we look back over the season and do our favorite picks out of it, usually anywhere between three to six each. And I say usually when we've had two of these favorite episodes, but whatever, you know, it's usually like three to six shows that we both pick out that we like. And so I let them know that. But of course, we haven't done the one for this year yet. And by the way, I love it when I hear that we have new listeners or new people that picked it up or they heard someone talking about a particular subject and they got hooked on the podcast and went back and caught up on episodes. I mean, we definitely have some episodes that are better than others, and we have some that are worse than others. But we've learned. We've learned what makes a bad episode. I think me laughing like a hyena probably makes a bad one, but. <laughs> no, I don't agree with that. It shows also that we're having fun while doing this. Does, and not all the episodes are, are relevant indefinitely because these weekend yeah. privacy episodes are nice to catch people up on what's happening, which is, of course, also one of the purposes. But they become less relevant over yeah, time because over then time. the news has less value. Exactly. Whereas the interviews are more timeless. Yeah, the one that we did on the Shrimps decision about what was coming up and the standard contractual clauses, all of those are fabulous episodes. They really give you the the crooks of what's going on. Some of the other ones, usually big happenings over in Europe, usually around cookies or, or fines or something are usually really good ones too, because sometimes we pick up these seminal enforcements and talk about them in depth. So those those have been really good. Talking about some of the laws that are coming active when you look at Brazil or you look at Canada, some of those are good too. And you know what? I'm not going to sit here and go through all of our episodes. There's some good <laughs> ones and there's some not so good ones there. And there are some fabulous ones. What are we going to talk about today? So there is a few things that have been happening. Uh, in any case, I think it's, uh, it's good to follow up from last week when we talked a lot about children's data. Um, and the age-appropriate design code for California that's also existing in the UK. And when you talk about age-appropriate, this week we saw a new fine from the Irish DPC, the Data Protection Commission, 405 million euros. Again, uh, Meta was the lucky company receiving the fine. This time for... Big surprise. This time for Instagram, um, and especially for the way they process data. So the Irish DPC has confirmed, indeed, that there is a report coming out sometime soon that it does contain a fine of 405 million euros, but we don't have the full detail yet. They still yeah. need to be published. But it seems that in any case, the lack of transparency towards children on how the data is processed, possibly also parental consent, would be issues that are covered in the report. And right. that is interesting because we've seen similar discussions around TikTok also facing yeah. fines for children's data. First here in the Netherlands and 
TikTok did not have their EU establishment yet. And then the Irish also taking over that discussion. Yeah. TikTok is controversial more than just that topic, though. I mean, of course, it's also the, the data transfers to China that are that are implicated. Did you yeah. read the article on the key logging that they're key logging? They say that they're not capturing information, but they do have the key logger on. When you click a link in TikTok, it opens in TikTok, not in a separate browser, and it captures all the data you're putting in. If you're putting in your username and your password or anything like that, it's it's capturing that. And we know that's going to China. We're not saying the people in China are doing anything with it. We just don't know what's happening with it. Yeah, exactly. We we don't know. We're not getting a lot of information from TikTok. Although if it's going this. to China, then probably it is protected by the PIPL. As long as the PIPL is protecting the data. Exactly. As long as the company's following the PIPL says too. But China seems more like they're interested in enforcing on companies that are not Chinese companies. But on the other hand, no, I guess you're mm-hmm. right. A lot of their letters of inquiry went out to actual Chinese companies. Yeah. So we haven't seen finalization of a lot of those or a lot of chit chat about them, but hopefully that's that's a good thing. It will come. I'm pretty convinced it will come. But yeah, this is this is an interesting movement. And indeed, some people are saying, so what does that mean for the position of the Irish Data Protection Commission? Can somebody right. still say that they don't enforce the GDPR with a fine like this? exactly what I was thinking. I don't know. I've- and Helen has stepped Hel- Helen has stepped it up. We had Helen on the second season. She was the opening show of it. And she has had huge plans in place and was ramping up her staff tremendously in order to manage a lot of the complaints and the issues that come through her office. I didn't like hearing the criticism of her and that she was taking it easy on American big tech companies. I don't think she was taking it easy on American big tech companies. I think she was moving at a deliberate place to line up her ducks and make sure that her enforcement on the American companies was solid. I think that's true. Though I do think it's going slower than I would than you would like to see. Than I would like to see. And also the uh, some of the the other decisions that are pending I hope we see quite a few of those finalized before the end of the year. And I mean, I don't, as I said before, I don't care about the multi-million euro fines. In the end, that is nice for a media headline, but that is not what compliance is about. And that's also why I'm curious after the details of, of this report, if the deputy commissioner says to the media, yes, it contains a fine, but there is more. What is right. What more is there? We want to know the more. We want the the compliance and the enforcement issues, exactly. not necessarily we'll the penalty. Get that. I mean, they've said they will release it. Um, so keep an eye out for that. Maybe by the time this episode is released, the public report is, is available already. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so that we can do that. And probably on this side of the ocean, I know these aren't our only two topics today, but what happened that made big news this past week was it seems like the ad papa is... RIP. DOA. It seems like it, right? The California delegation more or less pulled the plug on it. Yep. There, the, it, it is debatable. There are people that say it's not dead, that it's going to happen. There are other conversations that, you know, Nancy Pelosi released a statement that she would not support it. So it, it, there's arguments of whether it's dead or not, but I got a feeling it's not going to pass. There was even a press release on it saying it's, it's still alive. But they think it's only going to have opportunity in September, that if mm-hmm. it doesn't make it through September, it is dead to dead to dead. Well, I mean, I didn't read her statement as saying I don't support it. I think 
that she was very clear that she supports CCPA and CPRA much more than than ADPA because she thinks that the protections are higher. So this yep. is, again, the preemption discussion that's been going on for a longer time. Yep. But she also indicated that she was open to continued negotiations. So I'm still slightly hopeful that the negotiations may go somewhere and that we will see a new draft appearing in the next couple of weeks. We don't know whether that is a viable draft, but then at least there is a good basis, a good foundation to build upon after the midterm elections if they won't make it this year. Uh, They've come so far, it would be a waste to then completely throw everything in the trash. It would be horrible to lose that momentum on with what they're doing. And as we've said before here, yes, we recognize that ADPAPA wasn't what we would like it to be. We think it could be much stronger. Even for here in the United States, it could be much stronger. I've always Let alone been, for the rest of the world that isn't even right? protected because right? you still have that stupid provision in there that limits it to U.S. persons. I still don't understand that how you can do that when also looking at your Bill of Rights that says that we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Apparently, that's not the case. But yet we had to amend it several times to make sure we included everyone in the United States. That's true. I I mean, mean, all men was literally all men and then only all (laughs) white men, all cisgender white men (laughs) for a very long time. So, so we had to amend it several times to to get that up to speed. So, so give it. We're we're getting there. We're a young but, country. But, but language wise, you don't need to amend it to say, no. well, all men also includes non-U.S. persons. That is nowhere yeah. in the Bill of Rights. So, yep. For the love of God, somebody put forward an amendment to to this legislation that it should also oh, include non-U.S. persons. are broken. Don't make me laugh. They're probably not going to hear big rolling belly laughs this show. (laughs) I promise I'll cut the crying out. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. But no, you're you're absolutely right. Uh, We haven't seen a lot of movement in state laws uh, ever since they, you know, announced and the ADPAPA seemed to be gaining momentum in conversation. We haven't seen a lot of movement in state laws. I don't know what that means that this one got so close that maybe they're going to pick it up next legislative season and and move it further. I, I want there to be a federal law, and I want it to be one that has t- I don't want something that's passed that's so watered down and so bland. It's basically meaningless. I want it to be something that has teeth. This one didn't go as far as I wanted it to go, but I thought it laid a solid foundation to move forward, and it gave us some momentum in some other areas that we need. So we'll see. We'll see how far that goes and what we do there. Meanwhile, we do have state laws that are coming into effect. The other four state laws that are coming into effect in 2023, we've got Utah coming into effect December 31st of next year, of 2023. So that's a little over a year away. We've got Colorado and Connecticut coming into effect on July 1st of 2023. And we've got Virginia coming into effect on January 1st of 2023. And of course, CPRA amending the CCPA also as exactly. a general Exactly. Comes into effect on the same day. There's already a lot of conversation. I mean, the Sephora and uh, enforcement that we talked about last week, there are some major things say, stated by the attorney general on what that means for enforcement. And a lot of people are surprised when we keep saying that it's selling and sharing. They're like, but sharing isn't active yet. Essentially, sharing is the same thing as selling. It was created to apply to certain 
transactions when it comes to to data and trackers and cookies mm-hmm. and different things like that. So people need to quit thinking that it only applies to sharing coming forth in 2023. That's essentially, what do you call it? A, on paper. It's an on paper concept. In actuality, it essentially means it's it's addressing the data and you need to have it. But companies who are not starting to get their programs into play need to make sure they do it. Don't worry about whether or not there's going to be a federal law that's going to preempt the state law. And for those of you that don't understand preemption, which I guess is not a big thing around the world necessarily, it's when you have a federal law that's on the same topic that a state law is on, but the federal law can preempt it, which means if the state is opposite or doesn't go as far as the federal, then the federal law is what reigns supreme. However, the states are generally given the ability to take the protections further. They just can't contradict the federal. And so that's what the biggest argument with the ad popo was, is that I love the word. It would decimate the California protections, even though they kept saying it wouldn't. It would, especially the individual rights. Yeah, and there is there is one more important change for California coming on January 1st that may have gone unnoted by a few people, and that is that it will now also cover HR data because yes, the special exception has not been extended. Um, there was a there was an exception in CCPA for a couple of years that HR data would not be included and it had to be extended by the 1st of September, I believe, of this year. Would it still apply for next year? That did not happen. And with the legislative season in California over, it is also no longer possible to get that done before January 1st. So all companies covered by CPRA, CCPA as of January 1st will also need to include HR data in their program. So in addition to HR data, it also includes the B2B data, which you don't hear as much in the news. But, you know, because people are like, well, that's not personal data just because I'm a B2B company. Who are you making the sales call to? Who is signing the contract? Who do you call when you have a problem? There is a person involved. That personal data must be protected. Now, a lot of people are going, well, yeah, but most of that's public data. There is, in most laws, there is, well, the U.S. may be the exception. There is no exception to something being publicly available information. It's the fact that maybe there's less protections you have to roll over it because it's also publicly available information. And I like how PIPL says, even if it's publicly available, the person needs to not object to its use of the publicly available information. So yes, HR data is the big story. I have somehow feel that California is going to come out with something. There's going to be a governor proclamation or the AG is going to wave it. Who knows? I, I... (laughs) All bets are off when it comes to California. All bets are off. So yes, companies need to start thinking about how they're going to protect that. Include your B2B data because that's still part of it. So include your B2B data. You can't just willy-nilly throw it out there and expect that there's not going to be a thing. Now, there was something else in the news. It's not new news, but it is becoming more prevalent right now in the news because the proceedings started that the former chief information security officer of Uber is on trial for his personal liability in in disguising, not releasing, not alerting people to the big breach that Uber had in 2017. Hmm. The big data breach that led to the very first Dutch fine 
for data breaches. Yeah. And so this, these proceedings have a lot of people in CISO world a little worried. I can't imagine. Personally liable, which isn't unheard of. I mean, it's in the news. This one just happens to be making big, big news. Now, apparently, he also took action on Uber saying they need to pay for his defense because he was working for Uber when it happened. It wasn't solely up to him not to disclose the breach. Apparently, the two hackers who had taken the data that alerted them, they referred to their, uh, what do you call it, bug bounty program, Mm -hmm. which is not uncommon. It's just they didn't go the next step and say, but okay, that data was breached. Now we need to alert people. And it could be, I don't know, I'm not in the trenches in Let's this say negotiated with the hacker and paid $100,000 in ransom. It was not a bug bounty. This was extortion, I would say. Yeah, essentially. And the two guys, I understand, have been, um, that they're in legal proceedings as well. But with this one, it seems to really have people worried. I mean, this is something that should be covered in your DNO liability insurance, your director and officer liability insurance. But, you know, the criticisms coming out are saying, well, you know, darn good and well, the CISO didn't make the decision in a vacuum not to alert people. And I don't know if they have documentation as to whether this was raised or not, if it kept his own records. I have no idea. I'm not in the trenches on this one, but I'm going to be watching this one because this is something that is becoming more and more common. And I'm pretty sure there is some form of documentation on this because this would have been emails and text messages and this is not just in phone calls and meeting rooms there there no, is no. some form of documentation here because otherwise also the dutch data protection authority would not have been able to impose the fine they did a couple of years ago in the investigation yeah so there is documentation exactly so it's one to watch it's one to watch absolutely but absolutely. on the legal on the legal defense i understand he and uber came to a private settlement the details hmm. of which are not available to prs like me but yeah so it's it's interesting. It it calls into question a lot of individual concern when it comes to data protection and privacy. Because I mean, HIPAA has that someone can be personally liable. They don't use it very often, but there was a doctor, I believe, in Hollywood that was imprisoned for violating HIPAA, um, releasing data or acquiring data that he shouldn't have acquired. But you know, you can recall these very specific incidences is because it's not common. No, it's not too common. And I also think that's right, because we are mainly in administrative law area and not so much in criminal law area. Although in some cases, breaching the the legislative requirements could also be a criminal offense. We've seen it in Europe as well, especially it would then be an economically an economical criminal offense. And that can be indeed punished also with jail time or a personal sanction like We've also seen, for example, in uh, in the Chinese PIPL provisions. Oh, the PIPL? PIPL. <laughs> One of the things that we <laughs> see here in the Netherlands today, we've actually had two pieces of news on, on the data protection front in the Netherlands today. There is a new legislative advice from the Dutch DPA that says that the Dutch government should stop passing on personal data to the church. And then you may wonder, so why does the Dutch government why pass does? on information to the church? Hey, Paul, I have a question for you. Why does the Dutch DPA pass information to the church? Well, funny that you ask. (laughs) This is a very, (laughs) this is a a long running thing in the Netherlands. Uh, And it actually goes back to our citizens register, a bit like the electoral role would be in in the UK. We have a national register of all our citizens. 
when they were born, where they live, if also if they move house that is registered there. And basically all of the government would have access to that if they need your information for something. Okay. But there is this strange thing in the legislation that if you are registered at birth as being religious, then this, if you move house, this will also be notified to the church organizations. Oh. Via some sort of overarching church register. And then the church in your neighborhood gets a sign, hey, you have a a new person who belongs to your faith in the neighborhood. They just moved to this address and then somebody can come knock on your door and say, hey, we're from the local church. Do you want to join us for mass? Do you want to pay us money? Um, And this has been something that's been long criticized. And now the Dutch DPA has also said in, in legislative advice, this should stop. Yeah. You can no longer continue just passing on information to the church this is this is not something that is necessary they are not part of the government they should not have access to information from this this register um, basically there is no legal basis to do so unless with the consent of the individuals and most individuals don't even know that this they, they can't consent at birth no they can't consent at birth but they also don't know most people don't know that, that there is an automatic uh, message from the government to the church if you move house Wow. Is it one overwhelming religion or is it all religions? So I think it's mainly uh, all the Christian religions. I don't believe that it also goes for the Muslim and Jewish faiths. But to be honest, I'm not completely certain. Right. Because it's a very obscure part of the law. Interesting. Yeah. So that would be interesting to know how this actually came to the attention of the DPA if most people are unaware Maybe that's something that we can go back and look up and see if we can figure out, just kind of give a head like, that's just curious. Well, there is an update forthcoming of the basic registration of persons, which is the name okay. of the government system. So the Dutch DPA has given their advice on that. And the Society for Interreligious Membership Administration is cold. They currently are connected to that system, and there the Dutch DPA said no. And as to your earlier question, I've now found also the organizations or the churches that are connected to this this uh, this register. It's the Protestant Church of the Netherlands, the Roman Catholic Church of the Netherlands, some other Christian faith religions, the New Apostolic Church, which is quite radical Protestant, and then surprise, surprise, the Salvation Army. They are a church. So they are all connected. It's about 5 million people who are, who are connected there. But yeah, that's, uh, I, I was very surprised that this, that's uh, this came out today. It's also curious to see what will happen if the government will follow. Do you think that this is par for the course for other European countries as well? No, I think this is, this is something An that's unusual. pretty unique for the Netherlands, this connection. But I'm curious to see whether the government will follow the recommendation of the Data Protection Authority, given that Two Christian parties are currently in our government coalition. Ah, could be including the responsible minister. So I'm I'm curious to see what will happen here to be continued. Well, you know that that's that's a piece of curiosity for me is how does the Vatican comply or if they're outside compliance, how they manage the data of Europeans that come into because i mean most of their employers employees probably don't live there they probably come in from the neighboring countryside so i've always been curious as to how they comply or how they approach they are bound by their own laws in vatican city and 
they're not offering goods and services to people in the European Union. I don't they're think not? that religion counts as a service or as goods. So maybe for offering tickets for the Vatican Museum, but probably that organization would actually be based in Rome and not in Vatican City, so it would be subject to the Italian laws anyway. So it's interesting. I've always been curious. I've always been curious. I'm not curious enough to actually chase it down and do anything. I want to say, just write a paper about it. Then that will that will force me to do my research, won't it? Exactly. To figure it out. So the other thing that came out in the Netherlands today is actually the evaluation of the GDPR Implementation Act. Ooh. We do like to evaluate legislation here in the Netherlands. So also when the GDPR Implementation Act went into effect in May 2018. When no one really talks about it? No, but there was a four-year evaluation foreseen, and that was released today. And this is basically the legislation that goes with the GDPR. So it creates a legal basis for the Dutch DPA to operate and to impose their sanctions, but also to nominate the commissioners and the staff of the DPA. Okay. But it also relates to all the open norms in the, in the GDPR. And there are quite a lot of provisions in the GDPR that say, if this is regulated by union or national law, this right. and this and this can also happen. For example, when you deal with all the legal basis for the special categories of personal data okay. or for search-based data processing, all those kind of things have to be regulated at the national level. And the researcher, researchers include in, in their study that basically the Dutch Implementation Act of the GDPR is not good enough. There should be more done to make sure that the open norms are also understandable and applicable in, in reality so that people actually understand what the Dutch possibilities and exceptions and derogations are. Uh, they also explain that the Dutch DPA needs to provide more clarity about their enforcement strategy. Mm. There needs to be more attention for the weak position of children, also at the European level because of the inequality of the age of consent. Um, right. So that is something that needs to be done. I haven't done a study on what the age of consent is in each of the, the member countries, and then also if they change the age of the children that need to be protected under GDPR. So it's uh, it's between 13 and 16, but those right. don't align across the European Union, and they also don't always align with the regular age of consent in the economic traffic. So when you can, for right. example, buy something yourself or when that yeah, is... An 18-year-old is... can sign a contract, a 17-year-old yeah. can't. Exactly. So that's not well aligned. And they also call on the DPA because this was also partly the evaluation of the data breach notification requirement, which in the Netherlands is older than the GDPR. And also there they said, well, you should also pay more attention to data breaches that have not been reported. So far, the DPA ah. mainly focuses on the breach reporting. And of course, that is important. But also look at what is not reported where you are aware that there has been a breach. If something makes the news or something or someone Exactly. So that is a quick check. Has this been reported or not? Has it been reported in time? And also there, the DPA should do more. That takes a lot of people to, to do those kinds of things. Well, not exactly, because you can automate a lot of that as well. If you have one person who is good at writing code, you can do a lot of automatic comparison, actually. So it should not even be that complex. But for me, the the, the thing that stands out in this report is actually the, the open norms and the fact that norm explanation and the concretization of all those norms has not taken place enough. And that's not just for the Netherlands, that's all across Europe, I would say. 
And, and one of the suggestions that the researchers do is that actually there should be more codes of conduct. Mm, and agreed. that is also responsibility for the industry. So it is not just all focused on the Dutch EPA, not all on the Dutch government, but also on the industry itself, on the Dutch companies to say, we should develop codes of conduct much more than, than has been done to date, also at a national level. Yeah, that's one aspect of the GDPR that has surprised me. I mean, the GDPR gave full permission for codes of conduct. Why haven't companies or industries or segments done more with the codes of conduct? Seems like that's a no-brainer. It should have happened. Yeah, I agree. Ellen, I mean, we know that there are quite a few that are work in process and progress and that it is difficult to create codes of conduct. But still, it would be nice to, to take some more time and do some more work on that and get them actually adopted, even if it's right. just at the national level, because it will help. Right. Small disclaimer on this topic, because this was a report commissioned by our Ministry of Security and Justice, Justice and Security, and their scientific institute to private sector consultancy. But when such a study is commissioned, there is also always an oversight board for that specific study. And okay. I've been a member of that oversight board for the past year and a half. Woo, woo, woo. Disclaim, disclaim, disclaim. Exactly. So no interest. I, I was it. not a, not responsible for the content of the report, just making sure that the right questions were asked to the right people. Well, then I can pretty much rest assured that they asked the right questions of the right people. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> I have faith in you. Well, I don't have anything else that is huge news that's top of mind for me at all. No, for me neither. So I guess that concludes another episode of Serious Privacy. If you like our episodes, please do leave a comment. Find us on LinkedIn. Join the conversation there. You just look for Serious Privacy and you'll find the page. You'll find us on Twitter as at Podcast Privacy. You'll find Kay on Twitter as Heart of Privacy and myself as Europol B. Until next week, goodbye. Bye, y'all. That was Serious Privacy. Hey listeners, looking to navigate the realm of responsible AI data privacy governance? Well, look no further. Absolutely. TrustArc is paving the way, offering a complete approach to managing privacy risks in the world of AI. TrustArc allows organizations to confidently use AI with personal or sensitive data, moving forward efficiently and cost-effectively. And here's the kicker. Protect your company and data with TrustArc's privacy-driven compliance software. Because their deep automation streamlines data privacy governance cutting your time to compliance with automated data mapping, risk assessments, and regulatory reporting. TrustArc's enhancements go way beyond that, helping organizations understand AI better and align cross-functionally on data governance, privacy, and security. Plus, they provide guidance on privacy governance for AI and how to mitigate risks using frameworks like NIST AI, OECD AI, and the Nemesis Privacy Management Accountability Framework. If you're aiming for compliance excellence, check out Privacy Central. Seriously, one of my best parts. It uses automation and privacy expertise to understand your requirements, build and manage your privacy program with ease. Oh, I agree. Privacy Central is your go-to to measure your progress toward responsible AI data compliance. Stay ahead with TrustArc's Privacy Central. Visit TrustArc.com now 
Ask me a Paul if you have any questions.